Swamiji, it's important for us on the spiritual path to develop trust in God. How do we do that completely? Well, inasmuch as God is conscious of our every thought, we have to give him a chance to answer our prayers, to be with us. If we never think of God um, in the second person, we just think he's some abstraction, it's easy for us to see the suffering in this world and think, how could he love man? But on the other hand, if we talk to him and try to practice his presence, we discover that he's very loving. We can't help feeling that in that love there's got to be trust. You, you can't not trust him. In fact, the philosophy of karma solves everything. That when people act wrongly, they get wrong results. It's action and reaction. And the suffering in this world is not God's um, not loving us. It's our not loving ourselves, you might say. It's we do things against ourselves when we try to hurt others or when we are not honest with others and so on. So that rationally understanding of the law of karma helps. But keep keeping the presence of God in our minds and uh, talking to him, I would say just as an experiment, try it for a week. You're surely going to feel something. Most people accuse him and never talk to him. Give him a chance. You'll see that he's entirely trustworthy. The only being, you might say, in the universe, of course, he's the only being who exists in the universe, but thinking of him as apart from his creation, he is the only one who is, un, who is absolutely trustworthy, unbribable. He's always on your side. And uh, there was a, a play being put on by children, and there was a little girl in the in the cast who was very nervous and one of the parents stood up and said come on Susie we're on your side well he is on our side Swamiji is there a way to step by step develop that trust by trying it a little bit at a time well I think that's certainly also true that uh, you trust him in little things before you trust him in big things test him in little things and uh, you'll find sooner or later you can give your whole life to him. You can't, you're going to die anyway. There's nobody who can prevent that. But he will be with you um, all through eternity. I don't know how to say it. He's your friend. And you can test his friendship and discover it when he comes to your help in even little ways. Swami, um, you mentioned practicing his presence. Yes. What, how, did, how does that? I think that's the point I'm trying to make. That if you practice, you see, most people think of God as he in the third person. We have to think of him in the second person. And if we exclude him for most of our thoughts and just pray to him before breakfast or something, um, that's not enough. Practicing his presence is always sharing everything that you do with him. Talk to him in the second person. I know there's a beautiful um, book, um, Letters of, Mo of a Modern Mystic. It's a, um, who was the author? Frank Laubach. Frank Laubach. 
It's a lovely book. He, and he speaks of, as he practices this, he came to feel that God was always there, just behind that, cow, that couch, just behind that typewriter, every, just outside the window, and just hovering, like a tangible presence. But if you share every thought, every action, like you're eating breakfast, don't just give it to him in the beginning and then eat and think in terms of how good the food is, but God, I'm taking this strawberry, and God, I'm drinking this coffee or whatever. Everything that you think, everything you do, when you take a walk in the uh, evening, or for example, go alone and try to feel it's his energy. Don't speak, uh, don't, don't uh, be involved in the world, but feel it's his energy moving your body, talking to you through the sounds that you hear. He'll become a very living presence for you then. Um, it always amazes me when people say that they, he seems so strange to them, but that's because they're strange to him, they're strangers to him. Swamiji, you talk about developing trust, but to our limited perspective, we see good things happening to bad people and bad things happening to good people. How does it reconcile? Well, again, I've talked of the law of karma. Even um, the best of people, as long as they have karma, will have to pay that karma off. They may be good people now, but who knows what they were before. They may be bad people now, but they may have been very good before. We have, unfortunately, in this long um, pilgrimage to finding God, we have to go through a very winding path. And sometimes people um, act good and feel um, kindly toward people and so on. But then comes a time when they say, I'm tired of being kindly. I know I read recently in Newsweek, I think it was, of some woman who had said, I'm tired of being a good girl. I'm just going to get out and be nasty and get my own. And she was boasting because she was um, really going up in her profession. She was getting more success by bullying people and so on. Well, it might work for a while. I'd say that any success she has is due to good karma. Mm -hmm. But people don't realize the extent to which karma rules their lives. They think, I do it because I want to. What makes them want to? It's the, it's the conditioning of their own karma. When we're experimenting with this, trying to practice the presence of God, trying to trust Him more, how can we know in our hearts that the guidance we're receiving is true? Well, I've found that when you do a, a good thing, for example, if I give something to somebody, share some of my wealth with somebody, if I have wealth or whatever it might be, that uh, I feel happy. The trouble is, and this is why it's not so easy to find God, I know Master posed the question, uh, my guru posed the question, um, is, is it easy to see it all? No, of course it's not easy. He said it's very difficult. Do you think that a good dramatist would make his plot obvious? <laughs> he may, tries to make, put out all sorts of false clues and red herrings and so on. 
So God does that with this universe. So there are, for example, you feel a certain pleasure in giving, but there may be pleasure in wrong things too. There's a certain amount of pleasure in revenge. There's certainly pleasure in taking and getting for yourself. There's pleasure in uh, victory, even in a bad cause. There's false pleasure and good pleasure. So what, what would be the right kind of pleasure? I would say that it would have to be a kind of pleasure that makes you feel free inside, that makes you feel that your joy includes the welfare of other people. Free, and the next thing I would say is that if that joy takes your energy upward, in other words, two things. First of all, is it expensive? And secondly, does it raise your energy? We talk of heaven as being above and hell being below. These are really directions in our own body. And when the energy goes upward in the body, we feel freer, happier, more expensive. When it goes down, we feel more and more confined in our egos. So any deed that you do, if you find that it helps your energy to rise, it will be good. So even positive thoughts raise the energy in the spine? Yes. And so when we're trying to find true guidance, if there's calmness in the heart and... Calmness would be certainly important. You can't have an excited feeling. It has to be calm freedom. Mm -hmm. So, um, in your own life, did this practice come naturally to you? Well, I don't know. I don't think anything came naturally. I had to work for it. <laughs> I had the disadvantage <clears throat> of going through reason. If I had loved God from the beginning, I'd have gone straight to Him. But the way I learned about God in my church, it was the Anglican Church. I have to say, in all honesty, and I beg the forgiveness of my fellow Anglicans, God to me was absolutely boring. I didn't want anything to do with that kind of God. And so I thought of everything else but God. I sought truth. But gradually through that search, it did come. And with even by reason, I came to the point where I understood there has to be a God. And that God can't be a policeman or a judge or somebody up there nodding approval or disapproval. Uh, it has to be consciousness of which I have to be a part. And I decided I would seek that consciousness. But did Yogananda encourage you to develop a personal relationship? When I met Yogananda, he did. He always encouraged me to see, he said, if you have a vision of God as Divine Mother, for example, see in those eyes infinity. Don't limit God to the personal. But the personal can be a doorway to the infinite. And if you have no doorway, it may be very hard to reach there. Even the Muslims who very strictly reject all symbols and all images, they have that black stone in Mecca, which they bow to. You can't get away from some outwardness. It's just human nature. Um, in developing that connection, did you have to visualize a particular form? I've always thought of God as, as my Divine Mother. 
To me, it's a sweeter image. But growing up in the Christian tradition, was that sort of a big shift? Because well, I didn't really grow in the Christian tradition inwardly. I was exposed to it. I was raised in it. But uh, I rejected it, I'm afraid. Now, I think that when I met Yogananda and I found that he loved God as the Divine Mother, then I took that. He said, Mother is closer than the Father. If you make a mistake, the Father may kick you out of the home, but the Mother will always love you. She'll always try in some way to help you. So I needed that kind of love. Like a black man who was asked in court, how do you plead? And he said, Your Honor, I plead for mercy. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's what we need is love from God, not judgment.